What up, what up, what up, everybody? This is the Dr. Football Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Dennis Tian. Yes, I am a real medical doctor, but no, we are not talking medicine. We are talking football. We are talking the New England Patriots. And with me, as always, is my co-host, the man, the myth, the legend, the CEO of Hedge Better himself, Justin Fine. Justin, brother, what is going on, my man? I'm Facebook Live again, by Facebook the way. Facebook Live. What's up, Facebook? Hey, isn't it nice to be joining us on a Monday following a win for the first time in the 2023 season, right? Yeah, it's it's another it's another dreary Monday, but at least at least the Patriots won yesterday, which is yeah, which is not. I mean, that it was way too close for comfort. Very way, way too close for comfort. At the end of the game, 15 to 10, Justin. The story score yesterday from the Meadowlands, just an ugly game, ugly day all around. Um, Let's just get right into it. I'm going to begin with the kickoff. That is the opening take that sets the table for the rest of the podcast. Um, we said the first two weeks, Justin, we were tired of moral victories. And I think if we're being consistent, we therefore have to say that even though that was an ugly win, it was still a win. I went into that game yesterday saying I didn't care about style points. I didn't care about them. I, I, if they won three to nothing, given the state of this franchise right now, I would have been totally fine with any kind of win. That's how I went into the game. Something about that game yesterday just really annoyed me profoundly. And, and I mean, I know we said we talk about moral victories. I'm going to call that an immoral victory, okay? A win that makes you feel like a loss. Because that's how I felt at the end of that game. I felt like they had lost the game. And when I thought about why it, I really got annoyed. It was because the Patriots played that game making a concerted effort not to lose as opposed to trying to win the game. They took the ball out of Mac's hands. They took the ball out of the offense's hands and they challenged Zach Wilson to beat them. And he almost did. There but for a extremely lucky bounce at the end of the game. And what really struck me and annoyed me about that is the fact that this team came out in the first half and they showed they could move the ball on offense. Right. And they didn't have to do that. Mac Jones, I thought, played well again. The offense, against a really good defense, played, I think, reasonably well when they had to. In the second half of this game, they completely disempowered their offense. The whole goal was just don't screw it up. To me, I look back over the last five years, it's been four or five quarterbacks, three offensive coordinators, how many players. It's a philosophy that goes back to Bill Belichick to play the game like that. And what really frustrates me is, is the question, does that philosophy work anymore in today's NFL? This is the Bill Belichick playing chestnut checkers that we all got off on for like 20 years, but times have changed. And I don't know if this approach is really that effective anymore. This is, this is playing it safe. It's playing it not to lose. And to me, in 2023 in the NFL, you look around this league, Miami's doing, what Buffalo's doing, what San Francisco's doing. It's a surefire path to mediocrity, which is exactly what this team has been for the last three, four, five years. Justin, do you think that, 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 that the problem with this offense was more that they couldn't move the ball? Or that they wouldn't move the ball. They didn't even try. And do you think that Bill Belichick kind of philosophy that he's been using for years successfully is still going to work in today's NFL? 
Yeah, I think that's – look, when I was watching that game yesterday, I got to agree. I definitely think it, it seemed like the Patriots took their foot off the gas offensively. I mean, they definitely, you know, started out the game, showed that they could move the ball against that Jets defense, right? I was pleasantly surprised. Matt continued to look well, right? We saw Farrow Brown step up and make a, what was it, 60, 70-yard touchdown. Guys are showing up out of the woodwork, making plays. Um, it was nice to see. But you know what? Here's the thing. I look and I do got to say, at the end of the day, Belichick is still an X's and O's guy. He's still a playing chess while you're playing checkers guy. And really, he knew that the best chance that the Jets had to beat the Patriots was for their defense to force us into doing something stupid. Get get good field position for for the for the Jets offense. You know, maybe maybe force a turnover, pick six, fumble, something of that nature. And he said, you know what? My defense is dominant. They can't move the ball against us. We got a two-score lead. Let's make them go out and beat us on offense and let's play it conservative. And you know what? We've we've knocked the Patriots and Belichick for being a little too conservative in, in situations. But I actually like what he did yesterday to secure the win because I really do feel like the only way that the Jets could have beat us would have been off of silly turnovers and if their defense got a chance to show up. I completely disagree. Okay. Because <laughs> because they kept the Jets in that game with the way they approach it in the second half. Okay. And if not for Randall Cobb dropping a Hail Mary, yeah, this that could was, have been uh... a memorable, devastating loss that really sent this team into a tailspin for the rest of the season, 0-3, potentially changing the future of the of the course of the franchise. You had to win this game. And they were the better team the entire 60 minutes. They outgained them in yards. They moved the ball consistently. They did not, the Patriots did not want to take any chances whatsoever, which I get, I understand. It was a choice. It was, it was a Belichick choice. But it kept the Jets in a position to win the game. It did keep them in a position to win the game. I just, look, that was the formula for success with the Jets. I mean, you know, I saw it going into yesterday. I think we had beaten the Jets like 16 straight times, right? And it seems like every single one of those games follows this same format. It's an ugly defensive battle where we try to make them beat us, you know, with their crappy quarterback, a.k.a. a la Zach Wilson, uh, and he just wasn't able to do it again. I think we got lucked out. And Bill said, look, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. We beat him 16 straight times. Well, well let me ask you this. What what would you be saying today if Randall Cobb caught that Hail Mary? I would have said- Because I can tell you what I would be I, saying. I'll tell you what I would have said. I would have said, what a stupid move by uh, Kyle Duggar to not try to catch the ball. Why is he just batting it into the air? So that you know, was stupid. You see- I do you want to blame Kyle Duggar? Because I, 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 I thought that was dumb. Like the ball went right to Kyle Duggar. Instead of just trying to grab it and secure it, he he swats at it and he hit it. He hit it to Randall Cobb. I mean, the throw was to him. It, it was he hit a, it, to it was, Randall Cobb's it was maybe, I guess, a stupid yeah. play by Kyle Duggar, but I'm blaming Bill Belichick a hundred percent if 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 somehow they lost that game, if if he caught that Hail Mary, because it should have never gotten to that point. All the Patriots had to do was score. They had six drives in the second half of that game. They started off with a field goal to open the second half. Six drives, not one point. Do you agree with me? Like it felt like they really weren't even trying to score. It, they, it they wasn't did. that they couldn't. It was that they, they didn't even really want to because they just felt like Zach Wilson sucks. He's not going to beat us. Our defense will win the game. Let's just let's just basically take a knee, which is effectively what the Patriots did more or less on those last six drives. They 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 effectively took a knee 
it, okay. it literally reminded but that's the thing like i agree with everything you're saying and can you argue that maybe it almost came back to backfire yes but like i think of it and like i i think of the old the old uh uh, Adam Sandler movie, The Water Boy, right? And it was like when uh, the other team's coach figured out that the only chance that the Mud Dogs had a score was when they were on defense. That's right. right. That's and, exactly what it was. And, 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 but he played it so that the defense, you know, the Mud Dogs defense and Bobby Boucher stayed off the field. So it was, it was, it was, it was a Bill Belichick looking at them and saying. They can't beat us. They can't score with Zach Wilson in that offense. The only chance they have to beat us is, you know, an errant pick six or a, a strip sack or something like that. And did could did it almost come back to bite him in the ass? Yes. But do I guess I understand his logic? Yes. I, I mean, I understand it, his know? logic. And that's what it was. Like, it was logic. Like, don't don't confuse it that this was – I mean, say what you will about Mac Jones, the, the team out there, the players, Bill O'Brien. This was, this was a strategy to not push it in the second half. This wasn't Mac can't do it or Bill O'Brien sucks or the receivers suck, the linemen suck. We all know there's all debates around that. This was a, this was a philosophy, a choice that, that, that said we don't have to move the ball. And I think your water boy analogy is actually perfect. That's exactly – what they did do but you know 10 15 years ago i think that stuff was much more likely to work i hated it then right but i think it was more likely to work then in 2023 in the nfl the way teams move the ball all these rules pass interference left and right you can't touch the quarterback you can't hit the receiver teams are throwing the ball up and down the field even a lousy quarterback like zach wilson is is one or two lucky plays away from from hitting a big play, and that is exactly what almost happened. It should have never got to that point. I don't think that Belichick philosophy is working so well as it used to, and I think that's one of the reasons this team is so mediocre. This hasn't just been for this season, Justin. We're looking at five, go back to their last Super Bowl title in 2018. They they that whole year they did this kind of mentality and. Hey, they won the Super Bowl that year, but every year since then, it's been less and less effective. And now we're in a rut of mediocrity. Mike McDaniels is putting up 70 in Miami. Josh <laughs> yeah. Allen, like, you know, um, is throwing 60, 70 yard touchdowns, making it rain in Buffalo. Pat Mahomes is doing what he's doing. And Bill Belichick is still trying to win with his chestnut checkers, uh, slow, slow bleed you to death. I just don't know if it works anymore. Yeah, you know what? Well, I guess my follow-up would be that I think it has a time and a place, right? And, you know, we have a bunch of games in the schedule going up against some high-powered offenses. We have Kansas City later. We have the Bills twice, right? We have some good teams that are going to need to go up. You know, if we go up a score or two against Kansas City and we pack it in, then I'll be, you know, pretty annoyed, right? I think hopefully – Bill was just saying, hey, this is the Jets. This is Zach Wilson. This is our formula for beating them. I would be very disheartened to see him take that formula and carry it over to a high-powered offense because I do agree against certain teams, yes, 100%, you need to keep your foot in the gas and uh, you can't give any room for opportunity for a good quarterback to get back in that game. I agree with you. And, and you, you can't discount the Zach Wilson factor in that logic because – I mean, Zach Wilson sets a new low of sucking in the NFL. Right. I'm sorry. Like, he is one of the worst professional quarterbacks I've ever seen. And and I, and not only – I mean, there have been guys that have come in and, and had a bad couple games or even a bad season. You find me another quarterback that's been that bad for, for now the better part of three – two seasons and change, right? Like, most quarterbacks that are that bad – 
don't get 30 starts in the NFL. Right. You know, so so I agree with that. Like, you know, that's part of it too, but I just don't think it worked. We're going to talk a little more about Zach Wilson, Justin, in a minute, but let's let's talk a little bit about our quarterback before we get to the Jets quarterback. Uh, Mac Jones, you know, I'm not saying he can't do more, but but I think overall, I'm looking at his performance yesterday. I thought, again, he had a good game. I yeah. see a guy that's going out there and, and this might be a controversial take because I know some people for some reason just despise Mac and I don't get it. I think they're just totally brainwashed by their love of, of Brady and they just can't get over it. The guy's a good quarterback. And right now you look across this league, you find me another quarterback that's doing more with less than Mac Jones. He's top 10 statistically. In, he's number nine in completion percentage. I think he's number seven or eight in passing yards, maybe nine, something like that. He's tied for fifth or sixth in touchdown passes. Um, he's got one of the he's got the most completions in the league. He's got the third most first down passes in the league. The, the guy is grading out five to ten in every major statistical category. And what is he doing it with? He's doing it with absolutely nothing around him. I feel like he is one of the only positives on this offense right now i feel like he is the reason that they're even in these games or even winning these games his ability to make plays i'm not saying he's patrick mahomes yet but what i am saying is he's doing more with less than pretty much any other quarterback in the league i just think that's a statistical fact right now yeah i I honestly and you know i've definitely been someone who has you know been vocal about uh my doubts about Mac Jones, right? I've had, you know, I've said, you know, he needs to put up a little bit and I've said, you know, you, we can make excuses for him all day long, but we still need to see that he's got that, that raw talent that is worthy of, of, of those star receivers and, and, you know, the high powered offense, all that stuff. Um, I think he's showing us that if you give him some time and you give him some competent play callers and playmakers, this kid can stand and deliver. He can put up, I mean, like, you know, it's, it's funny because, for a one and two record, I think this kid has played way beyond that. I mean, you know, he's played comparable. Like, he's played comparable with a quarterback who's who's running a three and zero, two and one ball club right now for sure. There's no, uh, there's no question about it. And you said something in there that I think is critical: stand and deliver. Right. I mean, Mac Jones is tough. Yeah. Say what you will about him. This guy, he's even yesterday. I think he took a lot of hits yesterday. He's taken a lot of hits in three games. I'm I'm afraid at what Micah Parsons is going to do to him next week. Um, but but there's no question that he is a tough quarterback that has been under constant duress this year and has performed reasonably well. Yeah. We talk about him being in the top 10 in, in a lot of those statistical categories. Take a look at that list. If you're a Mac hater, take a look at that list. Look at who Kirk Cousins is throwing to or Tua Tagliavoloa is, is throwing to or even, even you know, um, Josh Allen, right? And what yeah. he's done, throw, who's, by the way, throwing tw- two more picks than Mac has this season. You know, these guys are doing – I mean, you can't hold it against Mac that he needs players around him to get the best out of him. Brady actually did too. Mac's yep. not Brady. Mac is not Brady. And people need to get over it. You surround this kid with some weapons, and I'm convinced you would, you would see him do good. And I should add one thing to that. Surround him with some weapons – and in, in an offensive philosophy befitting of the times. Yeah. And I think you would see a lot more from him. Yeah. No, because you, you know what? You can tell. And I, and I think Mac is, you know, obviously he's fitting in. He's, he's playing his role. He's, he's doing well. But 
doesn't it just almost feel like there's some times where he's he's just being held back a little bit and you can just tell like he just wants to take the restraints out and just get off you know get out there and cook right like i think he wants to be a little bit more aggressive i think he wants a little bit more control of the offense and i think he's slowly getting it i think he's doing well with the you know he's he's Proving that he he's worthy of being the starting quarterback. I think there's no doubt in everybody's minds now that Mac is the guy for at least this season. And if he continues in this pace, I think he's, you know, working towards solidifying himself as a franchise quarterback. And it's funny because this is a completely different tune than I was singing, you know, all even summer just, long. Yeah, all summer long yeah, absolutely. last season, you know, but I really in the first three games of seeing a completely different Mac Jones, not only in terms of his performance, but his poise and his attitude as well. Uh, there's no question about it. I, I think that I think he, you know, like a lot of young quarterbacks, Mac Jones is is a little bit mistake prone. Yeah. And he's going to make mistakes if you take the restraining bolt off him. There's no question about that. Belichick, therefore, is refusing to do that. And I think in this day and age in the NFL, the harm of that may be outweighed by the good of that, if you follow what I'm saying. Like the the way the game is structured now, it might be better to let Mac Jones make a few more mistakes, but also a lot more plays. Yeah. It really goes in contrast to Belichick's philosophy, kind of what we talked about in the first segment of the show. But I, I would like to see what he could do with with more opportunity and and I think that you know I think that really right now he's proving that that he's a pretty good quarterback he really is I'm curious to see I mean and don't forget they've played three really good teams yeah. and really good defenses yeah he hasn't had a softball yet and no? he doesn't have one coming up this week either all right, I'm going to bounce off Facebook Live. If you like what you heard, you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Spotify, uh, Spotify yep. as well. Come Check us out, Dr. Football Podcast. We'll catch you all on the iTunes uh, audio feed. Thanks for checking in, anyone. All right, let's get to the next topic, Justin. Um, defense. Now, I'm a little torn about yep. what I see from this Patriots defense because I've heard the word elite thrown around again. And while I think they're a better defense, and I think they showed that in the first two weeks, I don't feel like you can call this defense an elite defense yet. After the game yesterday, to me, that was par for the course for what we've seen from this Patriots defense for the last three or four years, which is beating up on really bad competitions and at times looking dominant. There's no team that does that more than they do. I think they're a better defense in 2023 than they were in 21 or 22, but I'm stopping short of calling them elite. Your thoughts? You know, it's a little it's a little tough to judge right now, but here's one thing I will say, right? I think going back to last year, I would probably argue that the Philadelphia Eagles looked like the most elite offense in football. And returning all of their starters, the Patriots made them look pretty modest in week one, right? No I we, we we just watched uh, the Miami Dolphins in 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 Mike Mike, Mike McDaniel, um, you know, show up against a Denver defense that was supposed to be pretty good, and they just hung seventy points on them, right? And we held them to twenty something points and, and and put up a battle. So I look at this Patriots team, and while we lost both of those games, I look at that and I said, okay, yes, we're continuing to beat up on the bad teams, but. That that was what we really struggled with. 
last year and the year before that, right? It was elite offenses who would come in and we just wouldn't have an answer and we weren't able to compete, right? And we were very much able to compete and probably should have won the the, the Philly and the Miami games, right? So I look at that and I say, well, I'm not ready to call them elite yet, especially with some of the injuries. Don't forget, we're missing the Jones trio, right? We're missing Marcus. We're missing um, Jonathan and Jonathan Jack, and Jack yep. right? All three Joneses. So, you know, the defense is down a little bit, but I think this is a team with the makings to be elite. I can't say they're elite just yet. Uh, elite defenses, Justin, have elite players. I said that in the preseason and to me – one of the things about this Patriots defense the last few years, and I know Matthew Judon is is maybe borderline at that level, but I don't really feel like they have a true elite player that can serve as like a cornerstone, like a Micah Parsons or Sauce Gardner or someone of that level. Um, what If this team is closer to being an elite defense in 23 than they were in 22, to me, one of the big reasons why – is because they might have just drafted an elite cornerback yeah. and uh, and Christian Gonzalez. That to me is is a big game changing difference for this defense because he has been really really, really good. excellent so far. I mean, you know, talk about testing a kid right out the gate. He's had to go up against AJ Brown and Devontae Smith. He's had to go up against Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. He's Garrett had to, Wilson. Garrett Wilson. Who he, he shut down. He shut day. exactly. What about that? Um, it was inside the red zone. The Jets ran that little classic Brady and Edelman route. Yeah, the in and out. Dig, the in yep. and out route. And Gonzalez just all stuck over all it. over him. Yep. Man. Yep. No, he the, the kid looks awesome. Um, and you know, I think at the time we all said, you know, he's he's a good player, but how how you know, relevant was the pick. Was that what we needed? And I can honestly say he's really helping keep us, keeping us in the games, especially like we just mentioned, you know, we're down the other three Joneses. Yeah. He has been an absolute staple for us on defense the, the, so far. The, he's a weapon. Like he, yeah. he's a weapon. And I think he is the kind of player that if he continues on this trajectory, it's only been three games, but he's the kind of player that can change your defense and bring you up to that next level. I I think that's really what they were lacking. They have good depth. They have a lot of good players. They don't have that one guy that's, that's the game changer, the Ed Reed, the Ray Lewis, the Warren Sapp. He might well be of that level. The way this guy has started his career off. He, He has been tested profoundly in his first three games and he's come through I think with um, flying colors. So, so we'll see. I mean, I, I think I think that that we'll see what happens. The, the schedule is going to soften up here with against offenses. It doesn't mean these games right. aren't losable, but they're not going to be playing elite offenses uh, for a while there in the middle. And I think that will also help. I mean, help solidify where they are. Let's talk a little bit about the running game. Justin, for this team, this this was a Patriots team that was supposed to be built around the running game. I think we can agree that when we're talking, throwing the word elite around, this running game has been anything but elite. They put up some big stats yesterday at times, but I felt like a lot of that was at the end of the game. It was soft and it really wasn't sustaining. They hit a few big runs, but then they'd get stuffed for no gain a couple plays. They couldn't really consistently run the ball. I've been profoundly disappointed. In Ramondre Stevenson yeah. so far this year. I have said for the last year plus that Patriots fans overrate this guy. 
Patriots fans talk about Ramondre Stevenson like he's one of the five best running backs in the NFL. He's not. He's nowhere near that. He's a good back. He's not a great one. He's certainly not a game-changing one. There are 20 running backs in the NFL that can do, if not more, that can do what Ramondre Stevenson can do. He has been a huge disappointment. Dropped two big passes yesterday. Felt like Ezekiel Elliott was their best running back yesterday, not Ramondre Stevenson. Huge, huge, huge disappointment so far for Ramondre Stevenson, Justin. Yeah, I mean, you know, talk. this was a guy who the last few years he looked explosive, he looked versatile, he looked like he was a, a dynamic player. I mean, he's looked anything but that this year. Like, he's looked slow. Um, he's looked like he's just kind of, you know, just play, literally like he's playing in slow motion back there. Um, he hasn't really done anything explosive or made any real big plays. And their running game – as a whole, it just looks to be like a non-starter right now. It's it's and, and you know it, I'm a little concerned because you know with Max improved performance, this still needs to be a balanced attack. You know what I mean? You don't have AJ Brown and Travis Kelsey. You need to have a balanced attack. So um, I, I'd like to see the running game you know start to get established. It's actually been a huge problem, and one of the, I think one of the biggest reasons they're not scoring any points. They have no running game that they can rely on. We all knew their wide receivers were going to be garbage this year. I mean, that was I think pretty much a given. They went into the year with one of the worst wide receiving cores in the National Football League. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we all expected them to have one of the better running games in the NFL. And whatever the reason is, um, they're not running the ball well. Their offensive line is clearly a huge part of the problem. It's a little surprising because for whatever reason, the last couple of years, well, they've struggled in pass protection. They've been better at run blocking. They have not been good at run blocking no. or pass blocking this year on the offensive line. And it is literally bringing their running game to, to a, almost a complete standstill, save for some soft yards in the second half yesterday. Yeah, it, it, it's been tough in uh... – like you said, it's real counterintuitive to what we've seen this Patriots team, you know, do for the last couple of years. You know, they've kind of established that identity as they want to be like a ground and pound team. They want to have a balanced attack. Um, but it's very difficult when you're just getting nothing going in the ground. And, you know, like we said, we saw them trade away guys like Pierre Strong, guys who were fast, right? Like they entered, you know, this uh, this season with, I believe, two running backs in the roster. I don't know if Montgomery counted as a I as a running he, back yeah. if he was, uh, you know, whatever they listed him as. But effectively, you come in with two running backs, and um, just neither of them look like they have the juice or, or, or the uh, the efficiency that you need right now. But again, like you said, it, 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 part of that does come down to the O line. But you know, even still, the O line hasn't. I don't think yesterday the O line was awful. Um, the, the the running game just looks slow and stagnant. Yes, it does. And and um, uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, in all fairness, that was the 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 first game that their supposed starting offensive line was together. Um, but that kind of brings me into the next name I wanted to mention is maybe being a big part of the problem for why this running game hasn't been that good. And I'm looking at Cole Strange, Justin. Yeah, Cole Strange had another bad game yesterday. He was a first-round pick last year. If you take a guard in the first round, I said this last week, I'll say it again. You're expecting John Hanna or Quentin Nelson or, or at least a good player. I don't see the difference right now between Cole Strange, who they took in the first round last year, and a guy like Antonio Maffi, who they took in the fourth round this year. 
They could have, why do you spend a first round pick on a guy like Cole Strange? He's a developmental guard with an upside. He has played okay at times, but so is Antonio Maffi when he's been in there. You know what I'm saying? Like they could have filled the need with that first round pick last year and, and, and drafted a guard in the third round, probably drafted Cole Strange in the third round and, and had him filled the exact same role, been the exact same type of player that Cole Strange is. There was no need to make Cole Strange a first-round pick. He's into his second year. I know he's hurt. I know he missed training camp. This guy does not look like a stable starting guard in the NFL right now. No, he's he's been pretty shaky. Um, and you know what? I, again, it's like it really all comes down to expectations, right? And when you're a first-round pick in the NFL, especially like you said, a guard, first-round guard, um, and where they take him out of Chattanooga, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Ch- yeah, Chattanooga, Tennessee, right? The Tennessee, Chattanooga. Yeah. So yeah. you know what? You're not. He's not coming from a power conference. You're reaching on him in the first round. I remember he was projected to be a third or fourth round draft pick. Um, at that point, you really better hit because there's a lot of talent that you let go by after that point that you passed up on. Um, and when you really reach on somebody and make a ballsy decision like Belichick did, let's face it, it was a ballsy decision. You took a guy from a small school with a third, fourth round dra- draft projection and you reached on him in the first when you had a bunch of holes that you needed filled. If it doesn't work out, I think it's a real, real bad reflection on another blown opportunity. There's no question about it. And when you look at the holes on this offense at the tackle position and in the skill position um, areas, that that's that's what you should be spending your draft capital, your first round draft capital on. Good guards every year are taken in the middle rounds of this draft. The Patriots seem to do it all the time. Look at Michael Owenau as a shining example. David Andrews, Joe Thune, who's now in Kansas City. Those are all mid to late round draft picks. You don't need to take a guard in the first round if you Go out on a limb and you do that, it has to be a home run. If you go out on a limb and you do that and the guy is from a FBS school playing against B-level competition, it damn well has to be a home run. This was another colossal draft screw-up from Bill Belichick is really how it's looking. Even if Cole Strange does work out down the road, he is not a Quentin Nelson, John Hanna type where you had to rush to grab this guy. You can go back and listen to the podcast we recorded last April. We said at the time they they mismanaged their draft assets. Two years later, it's looking more and more like that take was 100% spot on. You don't need to take this guy. There is nothing special or so special about Cole Strange that you had to take him in the first round, that you couldn't afford to, to not get him on your team. He is a developmental piece with an upside. He may develop into a good player, but the, 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 you could say that about 30 or 40 guys in this league right now. And, and I think that's a real, when you look at what Mac Jones is dealing with on this offense, the wide receivers they have, that's a real shame that they wasted an asset like that. Do, does he Sanders. have any 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 injuries or was yes, he? Yes, he's injured. He's, he's injured, injured right? all year. Okay, right. But, but there's no question about it. He's right. injured, and that maybe that's why he's looked so bad. But even last year when he was healthy, I mean, I think that he was a C plus. I mean, a C plus is fine. You can you can win with a C plus on your offensive line in one or two spots. But why are you taking that guy in the first round? Right. That 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 doesn't make sense. And I think. What what pick was that? That was a uh, that was they trade down I think into the twenties. It was still a high draft pick. Yeah, to take it. It just it's just a very bad bad management of draft assets. Bad Bill Belichick, the GM, screwing up as always in, in how he manages the draft, going out on limbs and and these things that he used to do 
like 10 years ago and they would pay back, you know, in spades and he looked like a genius. And now he does these things and and they just look foolish. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about the fact the Patriots, Justin, are one and two now. I think it's safe to say that we, we can all, as Patriots fans, we, we should be very thankful that Aaron Rodgers has become an acid-dropping hippie that didn't want to practice because there is no question this team would be on the fast track to 0-4 if Aaron Rodgers was healthy yesterday. Nonetheless, they are 1-2. and two. Assuming they lose in Dallas next week, which we, we'll get to later in the podcast, but even if they do lose, they'll be 1-3. and three. To me, 1-3 and three record is a stalemate for this team, it's what I hoped for. Sadly, it's what I expected. Nothing I've seen so far this year changes that in the sense that the Dolphins and Eagle, the Eagles are better than we thought. Or the Eagles are still really good. The Dolphins are better than we thought. And the Cowboys, are, even though they lost yesterday, I still think are probably better than we thought. I think you have to feel good about a one and three start, even if it was kind of served to you on a platter because it keeps their season alive. No doubt. Yesterday's game was was absolutely massive. I mean, you know, we, we we don't want to go back to the spilt milk, but you had two great opportunities to steal games against Philly and Miami. It obviously didn't go in your favor, um, but you put yourself in a situation where you needed to beat the Jets. There was absolutely no question about it. Um, the one thing I'll say, you know, not to, not not to get too ahead, but you know, we just watched the Cowboys get steamrolled by the Arizona Cardinals yesterday, yep. like. This is all of a sudden looking like an attainable game. Which I hated that happened, by the way. What? The, the Cowboys lost. Because yeah. they got the Niners in October 8th, the week after the Patriots have them. Yeah. And I was hoping the Patriots would catch them off guard. That's not going to happen. Right. That's no. not going to happen. No, no. Now, now they're, they're, this is supposed going to be like a get right game for the Cowboys. Yep. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. But you know what? Look, this is still a Cowboys team. Like, again, like, you know, they, this, it's a good Cowboys team, but. They have shown in the past they've had trouble winning big games and consistently performing, right? And I know they lost um, what's his name Diggs. Uh, yep, that's a big loss. For it's them, a, it's a big, Diggs. it's a big loss. They lost Trayvon Diggs, but you know they they added Stephon Gilmore in the offseason, right? It's still supposed to be a good team. Um, but look, we just saw supposedly the worst team in the league give them the business this weekend. So you know what? Not only give them the business, but like, beat them, beat them, beat on them. One side. Yes, yeah. like there was like. Dallas never really was in that game, like from the very beginning. So I look at that and I say, hey, the Patriots can go down and battle Dallas. I mean, there's no question Dallas is a beatable team. If the Cardinals can beat the Cowboys, then the Patriots can beat Definitely. the Cowboys. No question about it in my mind. But but I also think it is going to be a tough spot. I would have liked Dallas to somehow win that game yesterday because yeah. I feel like it's hard for me to see Dallas going home losing again and falling to two and two not saying it's impossible it's just i think it would have been to the patriots advantage yes if if they if they were still three and oh and it was the patriots that could be the one to catch them off guard i think i think right now justin assuming it is a one and three start you look at the schedule ahead there aren't many easy wins but there aren't many games that i would say are are, are guaranteed losses except for maybe Kansas City coming into Foxborough in December. I mean, Kansas City doesn't look terrific on offense. I know they destroyed no. the Bears. Yesterday, I think I think one and three really keeps the roadmap open for, for this team down the road to have to have a good season. 
Not only does it keep the roadmap open, but you know the rest of the AFC, to our surprise, isn't really doing themselves any favors either, right? Like no, there not. are there are a lot of teams that you know. Look, the, when we first heading into Week One, you know, we started giving some predictions for who the playoff teams are going to be and whatnot, right? You know, for the Patriots to have a one and three start with some of the other teams that we were looking, you know, at and, and talking about in the AFC, I think we both would have said it's a real uphill battle for them to have playoff hopes after a one and three start, right? But you look at it, look at all these other teams in the in the AFC through through week three that are either, you know, 0 and 3, 1 and 2, right? Um, and so as weird as it might be, the Patriots are actually gonna be in a pretty decent spot coming out of the first four games, one and three. They they really are, especially with um David Carr's injury yesterday. I I gotta say, I was getting nervous about that New Orleans game in yeah. week five. I mean, New Orleans looking like they were gonna be three and oh. Yeah, they have a really good defense. Um, you know, Carr is not okay. He's not Joe Montana, but he's a good enough quarterback. And that was certainly that Saints game was looking like that was going to be a 50 50 game. Now, if, if Carr is out, I think the Patriots, you know, win that game. I know they got the commanders coming up. Colts looking much tougher. Yeah. Um, a couple of the teams coming up are, but point is well taken. Their, 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 their season is alive and well at one and three. That's the sad yep. reality. That's how we are. I mean, you're a mediocre team. That's what you're hoping for. And that's what the Patriots are right now. Let's talk a little, Justin, about the New York Jets, uh, the team on the other side of the field. Robert Sala, I was really surprised pregame to see that Robert Sala's record as a head coach, I thought it was somewhere around like 500 or, or less than slightly less than 500. He's 12 and 24 going into yesterday. Now he's 12 and 25. Yeah. He's won less than a third of his games. Coaches that win less than a third of their games don't usually get a third season. And I have to feel like Salah is probably on the hot seat right now. First of all, because the team isn't winning and that's what this all comes down to. And second of all, because to me, Justin, sticking with Zach Wilson is nothing less than malpractice, football malpractice, if you will, right? Like there is no way that you should go into the season with Zach Wilson as your backup quarterback, especially when you have a 40-year-old starting quarterback. Give the San Francisco 49ers credit because they cut the tie with their garbage backup quarterback they drafted two years ago. The Jets didn't have the stones to do it. Now they're stuck with this kid. He can't play. He is absolutely awful. Terrible quarterback. Doesn't see the field. I don't care how strong his arm is. I don't care how mobile he is. I've never seen a quarterback run backwards as much as I've seen yeah. Zach Wilson run backwards. He runs backwards, away from pressure. Instead of stepping into the pocket, he's awful, he's terrible. And at this point, Everyone knew it going into this year. That falls to Robert Sala and the Jets front office for, for putting him in that position when we all knew that, 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 that Zach Wilson is not an NFL quarterback. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. It, was Sala the regime that drafted Wilson or was he the year after that came in? I'd have to, I'd have to look it up. I believe, I believe he, he was the regime that drafted. Was he? Because he's been there. This is his third, third year. Third year, so right? He got hired that January. So he was part of the regime that, regime that drafted Wilson. Okay. All right. Because you know what? I, I think that, I think that plays a factor, right? Because, you know, 
if he was the guy you came in the year after in, you know, the, the whole Zach Wilson situation, I would probably be more inclined to look at the Jets front office and say, hey, maybe they're a little less willing to eat crow in this because, you know, I would I would find it hard to see that Salah would have some sort of attachment to him. Um, but knowing that Salah was the one who drafted Wilson, I think that changes things a little bit. Um you know, I think San Francisco basically, like you alluded to, I think they came out and they handled it about as well as you could because they followed up one of the worst blunders in, you know, quarterback drafting ever. Like they messed up that pick so bad. And at least they had the brains to say, hey, you know, no one's just going to forget about this if we let try to let this blow over. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they actively went out, they cut their losses, they addressed the mistake, and they said we have to. Look, move look on. Sam Darnold is no is no Joe Montana. Fine, but if if Brock Purdy goes out for six weeks, Sam Darnold can go and win three games for the yeah. Niners and keep their season alive. That that Zach Wilson cannot do that. He can't do that. No. And the, it was a critical mistake. Do you think Robert Sala will survive the year as a Jets head coach? I mean, I really feel like he he might not make it to the end of the season if the Jets continue to lose. And I know he caught a tough break with Aaron Rodgers going down, but at some point you have to move on and at least be competitive. Yeah, I'm, you know, I would say normally normally yes, but I got a weird feeling that Sala is not only going to get a chance to finish the year out, I think he's going to get a shot with with a healthy Aaron Rodgers next year. I, I really do. Um, whether he deserves it or not, that's that's TBD. But I do think he's going to get to finish the year out and return for the 2024 season. That's just my gut. I mean, because because Aaron Rodgers got hurt? I, yeah, I mean, I think you look at it at the end of the day and like, look, if Zach Wilson is as bad as we all say he is and we all think he is, right? Like, you know... I get it. You guys drafted him and brought him in, but I, that's got to go a little bit towards, you know, a little bit towards leniency for for Salah. Like, hey, you haven't exactly had a a, a, a usable quarterback to work. I mean, with. the Jets have a GM in Joe Douglas, and, and I'm sure Joe Douglas has a lot to do with building the team and and deciding what quarterbacks are on the roster. But regarding who plays, it's the coach, and and to me, it's just completely negligent. That team has completely lost their soul. They have lost their will to fight because they know they have no chance as long yeah. as Zach Wilson is their quarterback. Guys like Sauce Gardner and Garrett Wilson and, and Michael Carter and Breeze Hall, you know, you can sense from just watching them how how frustrated and they are and how even a little apathetic at points I felt like yesterday because they know their quarterback can't do it. Yeah, you feel really bad for that team. That's a team, you know, we talk about teams that may be in the verge of like mentally breaking, like ready to lose their will. Like they, there's no question. They that's are. a team that you Justin, know. they already have. They yeah. already have. I mean, I think you saw it a little yesterday. Not to say they didn't play hard. I know they did, but you know, they, they don't believe that they can win with this guy. No. And, and I think that I think that it's it's very apparent. And and as the losses mount. One and two, you know, when they're what what about when they're two and five? You know, two and six. It's just gonna spiral out of control. And and you talk about a team that is losing control of their season. I mean, look at the New York Jets. Uh, how is that team? And I think they might have Denver next week, which is kind of an interesting matchup. Maybe I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's in the week after next week. But like, how is that team 
gonna gonna motivate themselves to play and really give you know that extra level i mean these guys are only human beings when, when they know that the quarterback is just a complete non-starter no matter what they do as a team no matter how they play or how they try or how well they prepare yeah they literally have no chance because of their quarterback that's really they need they need for them to win a game they need like what happened in week one to happen to them. You know, the quarterback on the other team throws four picks, it's four turnovers, and and you return a kick for a touchdown. That's the only way that Jets team can win. The only way. And, and you know what? I know it's probably a long shot now because I, I don't really know who you would bring in at this point that could give you that sort of confidence. But like, I think the only way you could salvage or remotely salvage the rest of the season is to make a drastic quarterback overall. Anyone. Anyone right. would be better. Anyone could yeah. win a push 500 with that team. Any NFL quarterback, Matt Ryan, Colt McCoy, Kirk Cousins, I don't yeah. know. Anyone, anywhere. There there has to be somebody better than Zach Wilson. Yeah, agreed. Um, all right, we're going to start a new segment this week. This is called The Rundown. We're going to break down some of the key inflection or decision points in the game and share our thoughts on on a couple of them justin i want to start with the pharaoh yep. brown touchdown i thought that was a huge turning point in the game i don't think that's any real hot take i think that's pretty evident given it yep. was the only touchdown the patriots scored what what did you think about the play call there i mean of all of all the unlikely people to be the one to make a big play, what does it say about this team that Farrell Brown is the one making making their big plays? You know, it's funny. It's funny to phrase it like that because I think for me, I was just so happy to see a big play out of this Patriots offense that, you know, I, I less so cared about who made it and just was so happy the fact that we did it. Um, it was super interesting, though, to see him out there. I mean, you got Hunter Henry, you have Gesicki, both of whom are, I believe, are healthy. Um, so, you know, I, I don't really know what he's doing out there or why he's getting a chance to play all these significant snaps. But at the end of the day, you know, I almost feel like we used to do some of that crap with Brady in, in, in the old Patriots offense, right? Every now and then you'd see a guy out there that, you know, you didn't even recognize his name catching, catching a pass from. Well, well that's a great it, point because like even in 2018 and 2019, you know, what, what was that Matt McSomething, Mc, Mc the, the big tight end there? And I remember there was a game in Washington, the Patriots run to make them 8 0. That was really before everything spiraled completely yeah. down, downhill for this franchise. Um, I, I made a joke at the time that, that that guy's our deep threat. He was a blocking third tight end. And here we are five years later, right. and we're talking again about, you know, a blocking tight end being our LOL deep threat. It just goes to show you the, the failure of this team to really stock the shelf with reliable offensive weapons. I thought it was a great offensive play call. I was, yeah. I was glad. And, and, I'm, I'm, and he's faster than I thought he was. So good, good for him. Yeah, honestly, you know what? Anybody who's going to get out there and, and get the job done and help help Mac in this offense score points, you know, I, I'm about it. And, you know, one of the things is when you have a creative play caller like, like Bill O'Brien, right? And you let a competent quarterback like Max stay in there and build some confidence. And, you know, it it elevates everybody, right? Like the guys, like, you know, the skill players that we're talking about, rising tides, like raise all ships, right? You know, yep. when 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 Bill O'Brien steps in and instit, you know, institutes a competent offense and and Mac Jones is able to to reach that next level of progression in, in his development, right? Like it takes all these these D level, C level, B minus level skill players. And it, 
elevates them a notch up. And I think that was an example of what we saw yesterday. That might be the only time he catches the ball this yeah, year. Yeah, potentially, know. right, you right. Know, like, I, I, I mean, you think he'll score another touchdown this year? Probably not. Probably not, right? Probably not, so, no. So, I don't know. I will, in terms of like how it affected the game, I do feel like once the Patriots hit that play, they really turtled up. That was the point in the game where they just like, all right, we scored a touchdown, we're up 10 nothing. Yeah. Zach Wilson can never beat us. And from there on out, they really seemed like they were okay. That's literally what it was. Clock. Yeah. 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 And it was, it was, it was, it was a bit, it was, we talked about it. I'm not going to go back there. All right. What about the Jets clock management before the half? A big fourth and one from the 35 yard line. Jets decided to kick a field goal instead of going for it or punting. There was about two minutes left in the half at that point. Justin, your take on that decision by Robert Sala to kick a field goal that put the only the only points of the first three quarters on the board for the Jets. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a weird situation because you know, can I get I get the whole philosophy of you know you you don't have too many you're not making too many trips down there to that end of the field, and when you get down there, you you know you got to be aggressive, you got to take chances. But by the same token, look, I mean. The game ended fifteen to ten, right? Like field goals mattered yep. in this game. Field goals mattered. You know, they they that mattered. That was a fifty-five yarder. That was a long field goal. It was it, no guarantee even no. for that kicker. No, no guarantee. But you know what? Like, look, we we've seen like this matchup. Even the last time they played, like the last going back to last season, like special teams decided this matchup, right? And so you know when you have a defensive battle, you get two teams who are struggling to score. Um, I guess I don't hate trying to take the three points where you can get, especially because look, who you who are you putting the ball back in the hands of? You it's know Zach what? I, you know what I would have done there if I was Robert Sala. What? At that point, it was ten nothing. I would have yeah. punted. I would have literally punted. I thought he took a huge gamble by kicking the field goal there because the Patriots at that point had shown that they were moving the ball through right. the air. He misses that field goal. Remember, the Patriots get the ball at the half. That gives the Patriots the opportunity to score before the half and then yeah. take the ball and score to start the second half. And then the game is over because there's no way the Jets are coming back. So if you punt the ball there, the Jets have a good defense. You know, pin the Patriots back. Use your timeouts if you get a stop. Maybe you're taking the ball again at midfield and getting another chance for a field goal before the half. I thought it was a big gamble by Salah to kick that. It worked out. The guy nailed the kick. And and I guess in that sense, hindsight being 2020, it was the right choice. But I think you could have made a, a real argument that the play there was to like take a five-yard penalty and pooch punt it. Yeah, I mean, you know, that I, I can see what you're saying, right? At that, but you know, that it's funny because like I feel like that's the same type of mentality though that like we've given Belichick and the Patriots crap for, which is like, hey, you're not being aggressive enough. Like, you know, you're playing it too safe. And, you know, I, I guess I get it. You know what I mean? It's one of those, he understands he's down 10 nothing. He's probably not planning on a big explosion of points in the second half from, from Zach Wilson. And he says, you know what? I'm either going to cut it to one score here or, you know, it's, it, it, it's going to keep rolling downhill. So... Yeah, I mean, for sure, scoring opportunities for the Jets were few and far between. So right. maybe you don't want to pass up on one right there. Right. But yeah. but but it, but if he had missed that kick, I think the Patriots would have likely scored before the half Definitely, and probably yeah. run this game by three scores. So it was a big gamble by Salah. What about the Patriots, Justin, before the half? They get the ball back with about a minute and 30 seconds left. They have two timeouts left. I was. I feel like in the past we've seen this Patriots team sit on the ball in that situation. I complained 
several times already in this episode, and I was so frustrated with the lack of aggressiveness, the, the sit back on your heels offensive philosophy they employed in the second half of that game. That was the one time in this game they were a little aggressive, was right before halftime. They tried to get that classic Belichick two for one. Um, didn't work out, obviously, ending in a missed field goal by Chad Ryland. What did you think of the Patriots' approach before the half? And don't forget, two things happened on that drive that we should talk about. One was the non-pass interference call against Demario Douglas, which I just, uh, I just don't. Okay, was it? Yeah, Demario Douglas. I just didn't understand how that wasn't pass interference. That would have changed Correct. the game. Right. And then the other thing was um, Mac Jones running that quarterback sneak on third and one to set up a 56-yard field goal attempt in the rain. You got to run a play there. You got to throw a pass and get 10 yards. You still had a timeout. I thought that was terrible coaching. Well, correct me if I'm wrong too, but like, I don't know. We, I almost wonder if we're giving them a little bit too much credit because it wasn't the first play call right out of the gate on that drive, a run right up the middle. It was. It they was. Did it twice. Right. Yeah. And you wonder, you know, I, I forget who it was, Zeke or Ramondre. And it, was it, Zeke. It, it was Zeke. But if he didn't break off, I think it was like 15 yards that's in that right. first run. Right. Would they have just packed it up? But that's like, even in their heyday of of um, of, of being aggressive on offense. Right. Brady, Zig when you say, you know. You no, know, yeah. that's a classic it's, Belichick yeah. move because what he doesn't want to do, he doesn't want to go three and out and then punt and give the ball back to the Jets at midfield. So Belichick is thinking, run some clock, start the clock running on the first play. <clears throat> and, and, and that way, you know, the worst case scenario doesn't happen. Right. They ended up getting 15 yards on the play. And then right. they did the same thing, I think, on the next series of downs. They ran right. it again. Right, right, correct. But, you know, and, and I get it from a clock management standpoint, but if he got stuffed coming up the gut on that first play, right, I mean, what happens? Do they do they pack it in? Do they go to the half, like, you know, um, on, a, on a more timid note? Uh, did they even get, give themselves a chance? To, so, you know, I it's get it. It's those little things that you, you know, I don't know. You wonder if it, if it went a little bit differently, would we be sitting here going, "Wow, what a what a dumb play call! They didn't even make an attempt." What about um, the Matt Judon safety, Justin? Massive. Um, at the end of the game, thirteen ten, Jets get the ball. That was like their fifth or sixth chance to win this game, which is amazing that the Patriots even let it get to that point. I thought that safety actually worked to the Jets' advantage. After that safety, the Jets got two more chances to win the game. They got the ball two more times, one time quite legitimately outside of the two-minute warning. That 15-10 to 10 lead got the Jets out of a hole. I think it would have been better for the Patriots if it was 13-10 to 10 and they took the ball at midfield versus when it ended up happening, which is, yes, they got two points, but it, it allowed the Jets to flip the field back to the, where the, they got good field position after stopping the Patriots on a three and out. That was all predicated, of course, by an awesome punt from the Jets to pin the Patriots back pretty deep. I thought that Matt Judon safety, while it was a great play by Judon and exciting, I thought it actually benefited the Jets a little bit. Yeah, it could have. I mean, look, the, the Jets were having, uh, you know, really no success moving the ball downfield. So that was, for all intents and purposes, how they were able to kind of flip the field, right? So, I mean, you know... It, it did help in the sense that you forced the Jets into a situation where Zach Wilson had to score a touchdown on you, right? You couldn't, you couldn't right. put up a 55-yard field goal to force OT. Um, but to your point, yeah, I mean, you did basically give the Jets better field position in a chance to, you know, you put them in a Two position where they could potentially score. Yeah, and right. I, you know, and you're right. I mean, that was the advantage. Okay, they didn't need a field goal, but 
um, if, if you hold them there and, and the Jets are punting to you and you're taking the ball at 40-yard line, you're really one or two first downs away from ending the game, potentially kicking a field goal, running out the clock, whatever it is. Uh, um, you know, if you do give the ball back to the Jets, you're pinning them again deep in their own territory with 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 the whole field to drive and no timeouts left. Whereas what happened because of the safety was that the Jets retained their timeouts, retained the two minute warning, and flipped the field position. I, I guess you could argue it either way, but I don't. I mean, I thought back to the Belichick intentional safety he took against Denver in 2003. That was a long time ago, but it was not a totally dissimilar situation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, it easily could have backfired. And you know what? If Randall Cobb was uh, a half a second faster, it probably would have. It would have. And, that, and that's the last one I want to talk about, the Hail Mary attempt. We talked a little bit about this. If the Patriots had lost that game on that Hail Mary, how does Robert Kraft not go down and just like fire Bill Belichick? He's a, <laughs> I, really, I would be so furious. Yeah. The way they played the second half of that game, to even have Zach Wilson in that position to, to where he could – potentially beat you on a Hail Mary. I'm sorry. That was inexcusable given the way that game went. The only thing I'll say about that play, Zach Wilson might not be a great quarterback. He doesn't process the game well. He clearly doesn't make good decisions. That was a heave. That was yeah. a heave. He has not a lot of quarterbacks in the league that could throw 70 yards in the air like that. No, I mean, look, that they always said he was talented. He had raw skill. He was more of a practice quarterback. He could just never – get out in the game field and do it. He did. He absolutely hauled that thing. You know, the announcers, they said, oh, it's going to make it there. And uh, yeah, I mean, a couple inches away from what would have been another devastating last second loss oh, for this organization. Been um, and just one last point about, about Zach Wilson and that throw and, and the whole the whole thing with Wilson, then we're going to move on to the rest of the league. But doesn't, doesn't Zach Wilson just show, like, I, I think back to that one throw he made to the outside of the field. He threw a laser. It was probably his best pass of the day. You know the one I'm talking for about 20 yards. Um, from to Lazard? <clears throat> I think so, yeah. Yeah. yeah the, right in the second half on that last touchdown drive. Yep. An absolute dime. That's a throw that I don't think Mac Jones can make. I think there's a lot of quarterbacks in the league that frankly could not make that throw. That one throw is what you get from a guy with a terrific arm. But then you have to live with 40 bad decisions exactly. a game. And, and that's why I will always take the guy – with the, with the above average arm like Mac that makes good decisions and processes the game well, which I still think he does, um, over the guy like Zach Wilson that can make that laser throw because, and you see this a lot across the league, a lot of times those laser throws end up being passes you shouldn't have thrown anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, we've seen plenty of guys with plenty of arm talent, you know, physicality, athleticism, et cetera, fizzle out because, you know, they're just not good quarterbacks. They don't have, uh, you know, they don't have what it takes. And Zach Wilson is clearly one of those guys. I mean, you remember Tony, and it's funny because Tony Romo, you know, he was calling the game the other day. He still gets it. Every time Zach Wilson makes even a remotely decent throw, Tony w Romo was there to go, oh, what a throw. What yeah, a totally. It's it, aggravating. It's so aggravating. And uh, when Zach Wilson came out of college, Tony Romo was actually one of the guys that compared him to uh, Patrick Mahomes saying he was going to be the next Mahomes, the, the type of athleticism he has, the playmaking ability he has, the types of throws he's seen, the guy kid making practice. Um, it's just funny to see like, you know, how you can think that that someone has that type of potential 
and just have it just completely go totally the opposite direction. Yeah, and and Romo just can't get over the fact that Wilson we'll, no. socks. Yeah, that. You're seriously, right. totally. All right, let's go to around the league, Justin. Um, let, let's talk about some things that didn't happen in in Foxborough, New York yesterday, but really a, a ton of stuff around the league, and kind of want to segue into that by talking about a topic that certainly brushes elbows with what we think about in New England, and that's the 2021 quarterback draft class. You look across the league, yeah. and these guys are all struggling, save for Mac Jones, pretty bad. Justin Fields has had about as bad a start to the season as you could have possibly hoped for him to have. That's where I want to start in Chicago. Yeah. I'm looking right now at C.J. Stroud, who started slow but now has played two good games. I'm looking at Anthony Richardson, who's already won a game and shown he's kind of viable because of his talent, his leg scrambling ability already. And and the Bears had the number one pick this year. Yep. They chose to trade that pick. Yes. There's no excuses for Justin Fields. He has good weapons. DJ Moore is would be the best receiver in New England. Okay. Um, Darnell Mooney would be the best receiver in New England. Yeah. Cole uh, Clement would be as good a tight end as Hunter Henry is. The Bears have offensive weapons. And Justin Fields still showing he can't do it. Are the Chicago Bears regretting their decision right now to stick with Justin Fields? I would trade Justin Fields. I would trade. I would take C.J. Stroud or Anthony Richardson in a heartbeat over Justin Fields, based on what they've already shown in two or three games. Your take, Justin? You know the Justin Fields situation is just really one that it just it like throws me for a loop because this was a guy who you know he, he was drafted supposedly having plenty of potential, plenty of talent, right? And he hit this like weird turning point last season where, you know, the coaching staff supposedly said, okay, we're going to let him loose. We're going to take the restraints off. And, you know, he was just absolutely cooking for the second half of the year. You know, he came into this year, everyone was talking about, oh, potential, uh, you know, potential MVP year for Justin Fields, you know, this, this, and that. The Bears might win that division. I mean, he has just looked awful. And it's gotten back to the point where he, again, did you hear his press conference the other day calling out the coaches again? Yes, I did hear that. And I think that's a huge part of Justin Fields' problem is his attitude. He has yeah. this arrogance about him that I don't think he's really backed up with the play on the field for him to call out his coaches in the way he did. Not, I think, very different than what Mac did last year, frankly, where Mac just right. showed emotion on the field. This is a guy that in a press conference blamed the coach for his struggle. Right. I, I thought that was just a different level of, of frankly, arrogance and, and, and lack of humility. And it's no surprise to me that Justin Field is struggling. I don't think he's a great passer. That's the other thing. I, I really don't think he has great passing talent. Yeah, I mean – He's clearly athletic. I just don't understand, like, from both levels, from a coaching standpoint and from a, a player standpoint, what happened from the end of last year where supposedly this switch was flipped on both levels, right? Coaches made some changes. Justin Fields obviously played better. What happened from the end of that last year to this year that they've completely regressed to, like, almost a point where it's worse now than even when he was first drafted? Yeah. I don't I just don't understand what could have happened. It, it doesn't make sense. And remember too, you know, he's had the same coach for the whole time. I th I'm pretty and much Eberflus, the same whatever, Eberflus. Yeah, yeah. He's an offensive coach. Yep. It's the same offensive system. So there's been consistency right. around him. He should be advancing. You know, the 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 Bears had an opportunity this year to draft a great quarterback or, or potentially another great quarterback. They passed on it. Who knows where that team is going to land? 
draft-wise this year. This is a great quarterback class coming up. Maybe that's part of the reason they kind of stuck with it because yeah. they feel like, you know, if Field doesn't – this is going to work out. This is going to be a great opportunity for them to to bring in the next guy. But but right now, you'd have to say that both C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson look like they have more upside uh, than Justin Fields. 100%. And, you know, to your point, you know, with the Bears regretting not, not making a move – Let's not forget that the the overwhelming, you know, I, I and I know we didn't think that. I know for a fact I didn't think this, but f- you know, for some reason amongst the media, you know, the NFL teams, whatever, the overwhelming consensus was that Bryce Young was the first was the best quarterback oh, in that no draft. Doubt. And this was a kid who didn't even suit up on Sunday. Right. It was a healthy scratch That's for right. the no, Panthers game. That. I thought he was injured. I thought he was a healthy scratch. Okay, Maybe he was. Back. We'll have to check. But you yeah. know, either way, he didn't. He hasn't looked good in his first two starts, he right? Hasn't good. He hasn't even looked if good. He's hurt. Isn't that a red flag? Right. Two games and he's already hurt. When you look exactly. at his body size, you know his body type, his size, <clears throat> the fact that the guy's already gotten hurt. If he is even hurt in two two games, is a bad prognostic indicator of his ability to stay on the field. Exactly. So if anything, I'll at least give the Bears credit for not making the same mistake twice, right? Like if Justin Fields isn't the guy, at least thank God they didn't ship him off and then take a chance on like Bryce Young. You know what I mean? Because that that would have just been like right. insult to injury. In right. Like, I, I didn't mention Bryce Young because I feel like, you know, I think everyone knew that Bryce Young, and it's still early, but I, I don't feel like that pick made a lot of sense to a lot of us, no. to be honest with you. And and I know that we're judging him too soon, but I've, I watched him play two games, and and I sat there for both of those games, saying, "How is this guy the number one pick? What no did this clue. guy do to deserve to be the number one pick in the draft?" I, I really don't get it. So 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 you know, if the Bears had pushed out fields to take Bryce Young. I mean, that wouldn't have been probably much better. Right. But there were good quarterbacks available at the top of the draft this year, is I guess my point. Yep. And the Bears passed on them. Zach Wilson's obviously flaming out. Um, Trey Lance is already a backup. They're talking about converting him to running back. <laughs> Davis Mills is on the bench. Uh, you know, Fields, we talked about his struggles. That leaves Mac and Trevor Lawrence. Justin, Trevor Lawrence lost a huge game last yeah. yesterday to the Houston Texans. In my opinion, right now, cancel it all the hype. Two game, two years, three games into their careers, Mac Jones had a better career than Trevor Lawrence. I think you can still say that today. So, you know, at what point do we start to acknowledge that Mac might be the best player, best quarterback taken in that draft class? I don't think it's even a question. I, you know, I know a lot of people are really high on Trevor Lawrence. I mean, you know, I after last year, I said to myself, you know what? Maybe he's not a bad quarterback. Maybe I have to come around to the fact that he's a little better than I thought. Maybe I got to give this guy a little bit of credit. But I'll tell you what, after seeing what I'm seeing this year, it, I'll take Mac Jones over Trevor Lawrence 10 out of 10 times. I think if you gave me... Uh, if you gave Mac, you know, some of Trevor's weapons, right? Guys like Calvin Ridley, yes. guys like Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, right? Like Travis Etienne, yes. like he, oh my God, you know what I mean? Right, right, right. like Trevor Lawrence has weapons around him. That you right. keep, when you're comparing Mac to Trevor, you're not comparing apples to apples because Trevor has better weapons around him and he has a good, an offensive-minded coach too. Yes, undeniably. And even with that said, like Trevor Lawrence is still not taking the next step that everybody thought he was going to take. If Mac and Trevor Lawrence were equal players in terms of their ability to play on the field, Trevor Lawrence should be outperforming Mac right now. 
because he has better 100%. team around him. Yes. All right? And the fact is, not only is he not outperforming, he's underperforming him. He threw a key interception yesterday, lost to a team that I think most people thought was going to be one of the worst teams in the league. They're not scoring points. He fumbles all the time. He turns the ball over. I'm not saying Trevor Lawrence is a bad quarterback. See, I was with you two years ago. I wasn't sure if he could even play in the league. Right. He's showing he can play in the league. But when you listen to people around here and they just say, well, you know, besides Trevor Lawrence is clear number one from that 2021 draft class. No, he's not. Look at what they've done in two plus years, Trevor and Mac. The production has been comparable. Max has probably been a little better. Right now, Mac is playing better. He's doing more with less than Trevor Lawrence is. That's an undeniable fact right now. I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think I think Mac Jones is starting to separate himself from the rest of the quarterbacks in that draft class. I still think, you know, just given how much hype around Trevor Lawrence there was going into this year, I mean, a lot of people thought he was going to be the friggin' MVP. That's what for, I'm saying. You know, for God's sake. And, and you're not, and you're not even, but, you're not, you're not even praising Mac by saying that. What you're really doing is indicting Trevor Lawrence, right? Correct. Mac, Mac could be an above average quarterback, but Trevor Lawrence might just be an average quarterback. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I look at it and I say, look, you know, those five quarterbacks that came out, I think it's still very clear that Mac and Trevor, you know, were the top two. I think we said that when they initially came out, right? Yep. And I think it's still clear that they're the top two now. And I think after this year, I think it's going to be even more evident that Mac is going to separate himself into the the number one. Category. Well, that, that remains to be seen. I guess, I guess what, what it, I would say right now is that it's, it's a two horse race. Between Mac and Trevor to see who's going to be the best quarterback of that draft class. Right. Feel a lot of people earlier before the season started, three four weeks ago, we told you Fields was better than Mac. Yes. And that's and that's nonsense. It, it goes, it goes Mac Trevor, and I think it's close right now. Right. And then and then I think I think it's a huge drop off, and I don't think any of the other ones can play. You might argue Davis Mills is actually number three, right now. Honestly, yeah, Davis Mills. Davis Done more Mills, with less than Justin Fields. A hundred percent. Never going to see the field again. The one thing I will say about Mac Jones is like, you know, the whole Mac Jones, I think, giving him the edge over Trevor Lawrence is, you know, I look at I look at Mac Jones and I say, you know, the knock on him for the last couple of years was, well, you know, he has to show that he's a winner, right? He has to show out that he can go and close out some of these big games. He has to win some of these big games, right? And to me, it was never that he was blowing those games. It was just he wasn't going out and having that signature drive or that signature moment to capture the win, right? Trevor Lawrence has done the opposite where he, it almost seems like, is trying to blow some of these games. You know what I mean? He like, makes a lot of mistakes. He makes a lot of mistakes. And there's a lot of games that you know we just kind of let him – skirt right under the radar for that he definitely deserves some heat about. Um, and I actually, you know, if we're talking about a guy who needs to show that he can win games and close out and make big plays, I think Trevor Lawrence is just as guilty. No question about it. And, and not only that, Trevor Lawrence needs to show he can protect the ball. Because, he, right. he, I mean, even yesterday, he did almost lead them to a comeback. There was a point in the second half of that game where Jacksonville got it to a one-score game and, Mac, and Trevor Lawrence threw a huge, horrible interception Forcing a ball into 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 a place he never should throw in the ball. Sometimes all that arm strength actually can can burn a quarterback, and we saw that for years with Drew Bledsoe here, where guy thinks he can put the ball anywhere. Sometimes they're better off throwing the ball into the ground and living to see another down. Trevor Lawrence has a, a lot to prove right now, and I, and I honestly think if you just 
tune out all the hype, forget draft position. Right now, Mac Jones has had a better career than Trevor Lawrence. He's done more with less. I, I really feel that way. Yep. Um, let's go to Miami, Justin, because in case you didn't know from, from the last 24 hours, the Super Bowl actually was not in Miami yesterday. It's in Las Vegas in February. The Miami Dolphins hung 70 points in the heat, and we can't forget that because it was hot, yeah. against a pathetic Denver team that's just really circling into complete disarray. I'm going to give credit to Tua Tagliavoloa for what he has become. He's he's He deserves a lot of credit for, for the way he's playing. I, I'm not going to hold it against Tua that he's surrounded by talent, which he is, because most of the good quarterbacks or great quarterbacks in the history of this league have had good players around them in order to be successful. I mean, look what Joe Montana had in San Francisco, right? You had the Hall of Famers, Mahomes at his best. Quarterback can't do it alone. The fact of the matter is, is Tua surrounded by great talent? Yes, but he's also playing great. If you put a great player with great players around him, you should get MVP caliber results. That's what Tua Tagliavoloa is doing. So I'll make a complete 180. I'll say I was wrong about him. No problem. You still can't win the Super Bowl in September. People are talking about this Miami team like, like, like they're, they're, they're ordained to, to make it to Las Vegas in February. Last year was more than about Tua Tagliavoloa's concussion issues. It was about the coach losing control of the team and not being able to hold it together when they hit adversity. We're all, we're also bemused by Mike McDaniel's antics and how whimsical and different he is. He's proven to me, Mike McDaniels, he's an excellent X's and O's technician on caliber with Belichick or any of the other great X and O guys in this league when it comes to designing an offense. It doesn't mean he can hold it together when it counts. I still see a lot of young Pete Carroll and Mike McDaniels. I'm not convinced that this Miami team is going to be able to hold it together. I know they're a great team, but even if Tua stays healthy, will the coach be able to hold this together throughout a 17-game season? I have my doubts. He was not able to do it last year. Yeah, it, you know, there's a, there's a lot to be seen. Real, real quick, I just want to say the the irony of, you know, the, the, the talent that we talk about Tua having around him is that they hung 70 points. Don't forget, not only was Jalen Waddle out yesterday, but they got rid of Mike Kosicki, right? Durham yeah. Smythe is their number one tight right. end in this offense. Right. So they hung 70 points losing after losing their starting tight end and having no um, Jalen Waddle yesterday, which, I, again, just, you know, says a lot. Um, granted, the running backs, I think, combined for eight touchdowns, eight touchdowns total. Yep. Um, nevertheless, Tua is still, you know, I think showing – that when he's healthy and you put weapons around him, he can play at a very high level. Uh, I, I actually, you know, the- I mean, if you're still bending over backwards to try and take credit away from Tua Tagliavoloa, right? Just, just give it up. Exactly. I mean, the guy, if, if if he has great players around him, but he's playing at an MVP level, you can't hold that against no. him. No, no, you absolutely can't. I I think Tua uh, deserves all the praise he's getting. You know. I will say I'm a little bit more optimistic about Mike McDaniel. I he's just he's quirky, he's weird, but he just I don't know, man. Like he's the players seem to like him. Well, let me be clear about one thing. I don't know if I believe in it, but I dig it. Yes. I like it. It's I so entertaining. It. It's, it's so, so entertaining. entertaining. And he, he you know, I like I like Mike McDaniel. I just don't know if I believe it's gonna it's gonna work over the long haul. 
And you know what? I guess that is that is to be seen, right? I mean, this is a guy who's, you know, we talk about Belichick and, you know, the old mold and having to change with the times and, and, and adapt, right? Exactly. I mean, could you think of somebody who is more representative of like the, the anti-Belichick than yes. Mike McDaniel? And he just I mean, out-coached Belichick last yeah. week, sort of. Or I, I mean, he certainly went toe-for-toe coaching. And he's had his number since he's, he's taken over the Dolphins. So, <laughs> he's know? the complete polar opposite of Belichick, the old school of the league. And I mean, I love it. Um, and, and, and as much as I can, because I can't say I'm rooting for the Miami Dolphins, but I mean, you know, like I'm not, I don't totally hate on no. it. It's just, <clears throat> I don't know if it's really going to work when it really, the going gets tough and something goes wrong. Is that guy in his quirky ways going to be able to hold that locker room, get the buy-in he needs to make it through a 17 game season? Last year, it was a little bit about, a lot about to his injury, but it was also a little bit about that. You know, he, the burden of proof is on McDaniel to show he's more than just a great X's and O's guy, but he's actually a real coach. Yeah. And you know what? Look, I know right now it's all sunshine and, and, and rainbows for Miami, but you know what? Inevitably, it's a long season, right? Inevitably, they're going to have to deal with with injuries or or, you know, adversity, whether that's losing a tough game or, you know, something's going to happen. And like you said, can this team maintain this pace for, for 18 weeks and then heading into the playoffs? I got one more take on this Miami thing from yesterday, too. And, you know, I, I'm actually looking back right now on my on my phone on the first round of my fantasy draft in yeah. the uh, in the NFL, in my, my fantasy league, right? And you look at the running backs that were taken in the first, like, 15, 20 picks, two rounds of my draft, half of them are already out for the year yeah. or doing absolutely nothing. Austin Eckler's out. Nick Chubb's out for the year. B. Yeah. John Robinson hasn't had a rushing touchdown yet. Saquon Barkley's out. Josh Jacob hasn't done anything. Derrick Henry hasn't hardly done anything. Yeah. You look, these guys, all these busts. Yesterday, the Miami Dolphins had two running backs run for 200 yards and four touchdowns each. each. Where did those guys come from? Middle rounds of the draft. And my point, Justin, is you have to be nuts to pay a running back big money. Look yeah. at what the Browns paid Chubb or what the Giants paid Saquon Barkley. Cut the cord and walk away. Running the ball is about an offensive line. It's about a system. And it's about speed in the NFL today. You don't need to pay a running back $15 million. It's a matter of time until Christian McCaffrey goes down, right? He's going to miss six games at some point. You know yeah. it. The question, only question with Christian, Christian McCaffrey is, is he going to be healthy for the playoffs? Because that's all that matters. That's all that matters, right? He is absolutely getting hurt at some point. You just hope if you're the Niners, it's in October and not in January, because that's when they really need him. You don't pay these guys big money because you can get great production from from guys that that are middle round draft picks. No, no. I mean, look, we we talk about the way the game has changed. The game, you know, in how some, you know, the quarterback contracts and how some of these contracts are getting out of control. Look, if you're a GM now and you're running a team and you're trying to build a franchise, your mentality should be that, hey, Running back is a revolving door. It's a system position. We can go to the middle, late rounds of the draft and dip into the well. We can sign from free agency, and we can get 90% of what we would have gotten if we went out and, and got a big name. Because like you said, inevitably people are going to get injured. 
you know, how many times in the NFL do you see these random running backs kind of step up out of necessity and show similar, if not identical, production to their their predecessors? All right? the time, every all the week, time, every you week. Know? So it it really is becoming a system position. And if you're if you're paying these guys big money, um, I, a I think it's just reason why they're not they don't have value on the open market. The Miami Dolphins yesterday told you why because you can plug and play middle round guys. And, and get amazing results. Why would you pay Saquon Barkley, who came yeah. into the league on a bum knee and has already had three injuries? The Giants team, they don't have a damn wide receiver. No. Their offensive line sucks. They just paid the quarterback $40 million. Yeah. He's a mediocre quarterback. And the best weapon you give him, Saquon Barkley, is is a, is a very good running back, but it doesn't change anything. No, exactly. Like you said, Mostert was a, a former middle late round pick and A-Shane is a rookie. So yeah. it's like, you know, if you could get eight touchdowns out of the guys like Absolutely. that, it's like, I mean, hey, you know, what are you going out and paying and big And what money? was Mike McDaniel's first offensive coaching role? Running game coordinator for the Kyle Shanahan 49ers, yeah. one of the best running teams we've ever seen. He knows how to scheme the run. They're, you know, they got a couple good line. And I mean, they do have Isaiah Wynn, who sucks. <laughs> but, but you know, they got a couple good good line. And, and they, they have a system that works to run the ball. And part of that, by the way, is having good receivers that make teams afraid to, to not to, to get beat deep. Like you're worried about Tyreek Hill. So you, you leave things in the front seven open that, that are opening up these holes. It's about a system. It's not about the player in right. 2023 in the NFL. And that's why signing these guys is nuts. Okay, Justin, um, let's talk a little bit. We've, we're three weeks in. Who's the first coach fired this year? First coach fired this year. Um, wow. You know, that's that's tough. Um, who's uh, – I mean, who's, who's the uh, – I don't know. I want to say like, you know, the, the Panthers, but Frank Reich's the new hire. He's new, so he's not he's getting new, He's fired. new. He's like he's, – he's not going anywhere. I mean – I don't know, you know. I, 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 I throw a couple names. Yeah, in throw throw some names out there. I mean, Kevin Stefanski from Minnesota. Is he get can zero and three? Is this his third year or his second? This is Stefan. So Stefanski's second, and it's uh, who's the oh, who's who's the guy in Cleveland though with uh in Cleveland? No, O'Connell. O'Connell's second. Stefanski's in Cleveland. Cleveland. Yeah, O'Connell yeah, yeah. is Minnesota. Not yeah, I'm sorry. I yeah. got O'Connell in Minnesota. Yeah, it's his second. Zero and three. He's not getting fired, right? Because it's his second year. What right. about the guy from the Chargers? One and two. Oh, he he might have gotten fired if they didn't win the game last already. night. He yeah. should have, you know. He made a crazy decision last night to go for it on fourth down from his own twenty-five yard line with two minutes left in the game. Yeah, that's crazy. He he. I think that guy is a weenie. I think he's on borrowed time already. But if if that doesn't work out and they lose that game last night, he. Probably, arguably, might have gotten fired today. Chargers go to zero and three. Yeah, reckless decision like that. How about Salah in New, in New York? I know we just talked about him, but I think he's a candidate to get fired. I could see him. I, I could see him getting a little bit more time, but would it shock me if he was fired? No. Um, uh, the, the the overall going away favorite I haven't even mentioned yet. It's a name you just mentioned a few minutes ago. Eberflus, the guy from the Eberflus, Bears. Yeah, the guy from the Bears. He he's he's the first guy to go. He's got to be right. If I mean, Bears, he's on the year three right now. Yeah. yeah. If the Bears go down the toilet, yeah. he he is 
absolutely the first guy to go. You look at other 0-3 teams, the Panthers have a new coach. Um, I don't. I think the Cardinals just hired a coach last year, and they've actually played well. They're one and two, by the way. The Giants are in the second year of Dable. I'm looking at right. some of the other teams. The Broncos just brought in Sean Payton. He's right. not getting fired. They just had a, a one and done head coach last year. Zach Taylor, the Bengals are zero and two going into tonight. He's not getting fired no matter what happens this year. He signed uh, an extension. He signed an extension. Yeah. The Jaguars got Peterson. The Texans got D'Amico Ryan's. Titans can got I, can, can I throw someone out there that? Yeah. I, how long is Mike McCarthy's leash right now? In That's Dallas? a great one. Yeah, not long. What what if they right? lose this? If, week? Yeah, exactly. If they lose to the Patriots. Like you tell me if that team's like two and three, three and three, that Mike McCarthy's yeah. on the hot seat. Three, three and five or yeah. something in October. Yeah. You know, honestly, that guy could eat that's a great one. Could easily end up on the hot seat. There, there's not many. I mean, Ron Rivera in Washington is another one that yeah. I think I mean I like the, the commanders this year. And they've started off good. They got absolutely pantsed by the Bills yesterday yeah. at home. But um, Rivera is a good coach. He's, I think he's in his fourth year, right? Or maybe his third. See, How, it's at least third, if not yeah. fourth. Yeah. He's been there a while, though. So right. if that team goes down the toilet, he could be someone that that gets that gets canned. Other than that, you know, I think I think that's that. Those are your those are your main candidates. If you're asking me, I had to pick one. I'm picking the guy from the Bears, hundred percent. First guy to go this year. Circle in the drain already. Yeah, and it also, you know what? It not he only won't that, see Thanksgiving. No, it, especially because after Justin Fields' comments, it just kind of tells you that that guy has lost the locker room. He has no yep. respect from his team. No you doubt. Know what I mean, no doubt, no question about it. Um, let's talk, Justin, a little about the. Um, the, the Brock Purdy situation in San yeah. Francisco. I watched that game Thursday night. You know, I just can't make sense of, of Brock Purdy. On one hand, I don't see on the surface how he continues to do it, but yet he continues to do it. Yep. When I watch the games, you know, he doesn't have a big arm. Uh, he's not terribly mobile. Uh, he doesn't, he's not, he's not physically imposing in any way. He makes great decisions. He has tremendous touch. He he makes the right read. I do feel like it's more than just the system there, is I guess what I'm trying to say. I, I know that Purdy is the beneficiary of a great system. I feel like he's not just along for the ride. Like I feel like Brock Purdy actually is an asset that's that's sort of one of the reasons why the 49ers have been unbeatable for eight straight games, bar short of the yeah. championship game last year. Your take on Brock Purdy. I think Brock Purdy. You've been the champion of him, by the way, since day one. I have, but you know, I think what he's showing you, and this isn't to take anything away from Brock Purdy, because I actually do think he's a very good quarterback, and like you said, he has a lot of those little things that are super important to being a, a successful NFL quarterback and a franchise quarterback in this league. Um, but he, like, his big thing is like he just like doesn't do anything stupid, right? Like his his thing is almost like he proves that you don't need a Patrick Mahomes to win games, right? You just need somebody who can control the game, make smart decisions, you know, deliver de de deliver a big play or two when you need it. Like Brock Purdy does not, he's not flashy the way he wins. He's not like fancy the way he wins, but he just goes out and he just gets the job done. And both, both he might not be flashy, but both of his touchdown passes on Thursday night were money throws. Yeah. They were money throws. Like that that late one was it the Debo Samuel. That was a dime. Yeah. And, and the other one where he was getting blitzed, the first one, and he just threw with such anticipation and feel. I'm sorry. You can't coach that. You can't teach that. Maybe you can't scout that. 
that well, which is why he was a seventh round pick. But it's a special trait. And that's 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 something that, like I said, I would take that over a guy with a cannon for an arm any day. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I mean, they made the right choice. They stuck with him and, and he's doing right by them. I, I I think he's a good quarterback. And like I said, he's not flashy, but he wins games. He does. He absolutely does. All right. A couple more quick ones, then we're going to wrap it up. Um, your boy Jordan Love, Justin. What's your take yesterday on that on that comeback? Now, let's be fair. If if Derek David Carr doesn't get hurt, there's no way I think the Packers win that game. They were dead in the water. And then Carr got hurt. Yeah. The Saints offense went from bad to worse, but enough that it allowed the door to open for the Packers to come back. I still think you have to give Jordan Love credit for 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 completing a three-score comeback against a pretty good defense. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, the guy the guy came out and he he did his thing. Uh I I still I'm still not ready to call him a great quarterback, but each week he's continuing to come out and show me that hey, you know, I might have to eat a little bit of crow. This guy he's 2 and 1 right now, right? He's very yep. close to being 3 and 0. Um, near the top of the league in touchdown passes. Yeah, near the top of the league in touchdown passes. Yeah, and he's just he's just playing well. I can't take it away from him. He really is. He's playing well. And um, you know, you know, you could say that the Derek Carr injury uh, was the reason why they came back and won. But look, that's football. That's yeah, sports, right? That's right. So you know, at the I end, I mean, of at times Jordan Love looked awful yesterday. I mean, he had a couple terrible throws. The Saints made him look bad. Saints a good defense. For three quarters, but yeah. I mean, it goes back to what. You can go back 30 years to what Bill Parcells used to say, which is that, you know, it doesn't matter how many bad plays you throw, how many turnovers, whatever. When it's fourth in the fourth quarter, does the quarterback, you know, get you back into the game? That's what really counts. You know, can you put all that behind you and right. go out and win the game? That was a classic Bill Parcells mentality. And I thought of that yesterday when I was watching Jordan Love because, hey, you can't take it away from him, the fact that he was able to lead a three-score comeback – Against anyone in this league, that's that's impressive. Yeah, super impressive. Um, yeah, good for him. Uh, you know what? I I don't hate the the Packers. I, they're they're just an interesting team to keep my eye on this year. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah. So last last thing, then then I want to wrap it up. We're three weeks in. What what prediction from the preseason are you regretting? Right now, what what's been the biggest surprise, mm. and 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 what do you feel most confident about pr- prediction wise that you made going into the year? Let's see. So, let's start with what I'm regretting. I'd say what I'm regretting is, uh, you know, un- unless the Minnesota Vikings turn it around. I mean, you know, they're they're zero and three right now, yeah. and I. And, to me, I thought that was a, a clear favorite for them to win that. Do you division. know what's crazy though about them being 0-3? Is that they're the exact same team they were last year. They were right. 11 and 0 last year in close games. Yep. Now they're 0-3. Right. They just got very lucky last year, very unlucky this year. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that that's a team that, hey, I thought they were gonna be running away with it. 0-3, tough start. Um, what am I feeling confident in? What am I feeling confident in? Uh I think I well, you know what? We both said that uh we thought that the Chiefs were gonna emerge out of the AFC West, right? Yep. We you know, we said that was supposed to be a another crowded Are you feeling less confident oh, about the Chiefs? No, I'm feeling more confident more about confident the Chiefs this year. Yeah, I think look, the Chargers are, are showing me that they're the same old Chargers. 
Um, you know, the, the Raiders the are still Raiders very beatable. Bad. The, Raiders the Raiders look, look bad. bad. They're still a very beatable team. Josh McDaniels is another coach that could find himself on the hot seat. We should mention Easily, his name. yes, easily. That was a bad game. I mean, and, yeah. and Jimmy G didn't look good last night. He, he is, I think, leading the league in interceptions right is now. Is he? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Three so. last night. So... Yeah, I mean, the Raiders go downhill. But yeah, I mean, you're right. The, the things of just the Chiefs are stable. They're fidelity, they're prudential, they're liberty mutual. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, they, yeah. You know, I mean, they just, they're going to be there. They're going to win their 12 games or 13 games. And show me who's going to beat Andy Reid and, and Patrick Mahomes in January. It's, it's, it's you know, it's very tough to do. Um, Buffalo, Cincinnati, Really, I've been able to consistently, you know, or, you know, the Chiefs have done well in the postseason. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So, uh, and then, and then, okay, I'm gonna say one other one too. I wanted to bring up was the um, my my prediction about the Buccaneers being one of the worst teams in the league. Yeah, that that's that's wrong. I mean, Tampa Bay looks like a good team. Um, they they look like they're they they're probably the best or one. Of, I mean, they're right up there in that division. What's funny is. Everyone crapped on the NFC South, and they got two two and one teams, and the Buccaneers, you know, playing tonight two and zero with a chance to go three and zero, yeah, which is kind of interesting. So you know, it just goes to show you, you never know. And then um, another team that that I think I'm surprised by, and we're gonna wrap it up in a sec. The Colts at two and one. I mean, the, Gardner Minshew. We said this in the preseason, right? If he had to come in, he win games, and and you know, the Colts look like a good team. That was a I mean, the Ravens don't look good so far this year. They were my Super Bowl pick. That's probably yeah. another one that I'm feeling less confident Me too. in right now. Me too. Because they just don't look like they've ever clicked. Like, I thought they right. were going to be like, I don't want to say something crazy. Like a 2007 Patriots type thing with all that weapons and, and skill position and Lamar Jackson under contract. I just thought that was going to be like, a, I don't want to say 2007 Patriots, but like a, a team that just comes team, in yeah. offensively and clicks and is scoring 30, 40 points a game, yeah. putting up huge numbers. They've actually really struggled. Offensively, it's been a slog for them. Yeah. And 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 Lamar Jackson hasn't looked good. I know that because he's my fantasy quarterback, by the way. <laughs> Losing that game to the Colts yesterday, hey, I give credit to the Colts. They're a much better team than most people give them credit for. The Ravens do not look like the juggernaut that I expected them to be. No, not at all. I, I had high hopes for them too. I mean, I thought this was going to be a, a team with a dominant defense, a, a high-flying offense. Lamar is also my fantasy quarterback. Um, Yeah, just really just – the other thing I'll say is not only they not look great, but like they almost look like they're playing with just no urgency, right? Like it almost looks like they're out there practicing. That's right. Like that's that's my interpretation. They look like dead in the water, lethargic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're just totally out of sync. So, all right, man. Well, that's all the time we have. I'm going to wrap it up. Any other thoughts, uh, comments, questions, uh, observations before we end it, Justin? Uh, no, just, uh, you know, if, if we're going to get this out before the Monday night game. Is this uh, the last Monday night doubleheader? I hope not. I kind of like the doubleheaders. Yeah, it's uh, kind of cool. I think it is, but, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. It might be a new thing for this year. How long know. until they do Tuesday night? That's what I it's want. To know. It's slowly creeping. It's slowly yeah. creeping. Slowly like, creeping. Wouldn't it make more sense instead of doing two on Monday to do one on Tuesday? We saw some Tuesday nights in COVID, and it was pretty great. From a, I mean, it's the worst. I'll night take of the week. I'll take football at any night of the week. Honestly, you know what I mean. Like Tuesday it, nights this time of year suck. Yeah, yeah, in absolutely. Winter, and, and especially when you get to late fall and yeah. you know, winter, it sucks. I mean, Tuesday night football, that would be. 
hey, what's the difference, right? Right. What's the difference at this point? Yeah, yeah, no, Play for seven sure. Seven days a week, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I'm I'm uh, I'm excited, but uh, let's. Can we all root for an AJ Brown anytime touchdown tonight? I can't because there. I'm going against him. So okay, you, right. you and everyone else. Unfortunately, can. I'm going to have to root for that. Hopefully, he gets off. To, How many uh, points do you need? I just no, I'm just, I just have him in any time touchdown. Last oh, leg, last leg of a parlay. Okay, okay. AJ Brown any time touchdown. Yes, because I'm up by sixty, so we can. All right, it. so there you go. You can afford a touchdown. You've yes. got Mayfield and AJ Brown, and I got the kicker, so I all can right. afford it. So you'll be good. Yes. All right, that, that sounds good, man. That's all the time we have. We want to thank everyone that listened to this episode of the Doctor Football Podcast. We will drop this episode tonight. We will be back next Monday to record again. If anything crazy happens this week, we will record again. Otherwise, we'll catch you next Monday. Thank you to everyone that listened. Enjoy the Monday night games and stay dry out there, everyone.